Chapter 28 By July 1968, I had completed my 33rd birthday. I had graduated with an MSW, a Master's in Social Work from Tulane University School of Social Work, and I was civilly married to Carolyn Knott, who had become Carolyn Knott Alderete. I looked back to my past life very few times and for very short periods of time. There was way too much in my windows of my new present and the new future of my future. First thing I needed to do upon graduation was to get a job. I needed to begin paying on that student loan which I had made in January of that year. I had been fortunate in managing to get a full scholarship for tuition and books for my last semester. One professor at Tulane searched that out for me and when I, asked, when I asked him how to apply for student loans, for subsistence, and for tuition, I had no idea that he would find tuition and books scholarship money at the beginning of a spring semester. Since he succeeded in that, I was able to use the loan money for subsistence for that whole spring semester. That perk of tuition money was the first of many boosts which I was fortunate to fall heir to. My ego had no idea whatsoever how easily the world could just easily punch and bruise me in the blink of an eye. One place I applied to was a neighborhood settlement house where I had been placed to do one semester's internship. I liked the administrative staff and I felt that they liked me and my work with the latency age kids and adolescents. They gave me one interview and never called me back. That was bruise number one. Another program for the mental health of adolescents could hardly wait for me to start. So impressed were the program director and his assistant, MSW, who ran the clinical part of the program. The program was an outreach of a Catholic hospital there in New Orleans. The head administrator was a Catholic nun, a sister of charity. Her order ran the whole operation. As soon as she saw that one of her departments was about to hire an ex-priest, she shot down my job no matter what promises had been made and by whom. Nothing personal, I was told, just wasn't her business to give employment to ex-priests. Bruise number two. A third clinic, a third application which did succeed was for a position in a state mental hospital across from Lake Pontchartrain, which separates New Orleans from Covington, Louisiana, where the hospital was and is to this day. The drive there was 29 miles one way on a causeway. I was hired for a social work slot in one of the many wards. The hospital was not new to me. I had worked there as a grad student who went there with three other graduate students on Saturdays, we went there every Saturday morning to conduct social history intake reports for patients who had been admitted the week before. I would conduct five to eight interviews per Saturday. Word had come back to me that the head MSW who ran the social work department was impressed with my histories. When she saw my application, she quickly hired me. Didn't hurt to start on her good side. Soon I became a colleague to MSWs, to psychiatrists, to other medical doctors, to psychologists, psychiatric nurses, 
and the aids who outnumbered us all. In six months' time, I had made an amazing number of close friends. One doctor, for instance, who was considered like the informal leader of the pack, offered me a ride in his car, which he drove back and forth from New Orleans every day. That took the place of me going in the state van, which transported many of us daily. Another MD, who was the psychiatrist in charge of the adolescent department, became quite interested in my bilingualism and my biculturalism, as well as my past experience with gang members back in El Paso. He was also on the Tulane Medical School faculty, part-time in the Department of Psychiatry and Neurology. That relationship would open fantastic doors to my future in the very near future. I was feeling the experience of a tremendous growth as a professional. I was witnessing on a daily basis the whole gamut of psychiatric problems from the simple, uncomplicated neurosis to the full-blown dangerous psychosis from every aspect of the feared and the misunderstood schizophrenia to the deepest depression, which not even ECT could touch, electroconvulsive shock. To be part of a team administering ECT was at once scary and uplifting in responsibility, also very humbling. I soon became the social work component of small groups run by a psychiatrist and a psychiatric nurse. The knowledge and the skill of the psychiatric nurses, the aides, and my fellow MSWs on staff took me totally by surprise. I soon emulated them to become as proficient as they were, as helpmates to the psychiatrists and the other MDs. Yes, the hierarchical lines were clearly delineated in that hospital as they are in the military and the Catholic Church. What those staffs taught me off the cuff was amazing in its extent and its ability to hit the nail on the head for effectiveness. This was no warehouse for crazies. This was a giant of a treatment center for very disturbed men and women. I worked only in the adult wards. What society considered humans to be besought by demons were treated with remarkable degrees of success with chemotherapy, with physical restraints, with human understanding, and a modicum of compassion. Those were the days when prefrontal lobotomy was not only legal, it was considered ethical, in spite of the fact that the surgical procedure, which was irreversible once done, ended a person's ability to ever reason again. Their mind was taken from them when their prefrontal lobe was removed. It was done under strict, strictest of conditions and was regarded as a blessing to the one with an incurable dangerous psychosis and as a safety measure for the caretakers of such persons. The difference between 1968 and the current medical practice is totally of another kind, due primarily to advances, of course, in pharmacology as well as technology. Prefrontal lobotomy, for instance, has no longer been legal for a long time, much less ethical. Chemical restraints are now available to control the dangerously impossible to be cured. 
Unfortunately, we did not have the personal power, manpower, or person power, nor the resources to provide programs to deal with the family members of severely affected, who were severely affected by mental illness of a loved one. In my capacity as a student who had done social histories on weekends, I had had an opportunity as a paraprofessional to do some education and explanation to relatives of the persons admitted the week before. They had given me a clue as to how uninformed family members were about the mental problems of their loved ones and what the afflicted one had gone through or was going through. Our focus in the ward was intense and exclusively on the illness and its symptoms itself. While I was thoroughly enamored of all I was learning and the place I was being accorded in that hospital hierarchy, I received one phone call six months after I had been at that Louisiana State Hospital, which changed all of that. 